Welcome to the future of XYZ. I'm your host, Lisa Grelnick, principal and founder of LVG & Co., an independent strategy consultancy based in New York City. Through quick and candid conversations with innovative leaders, we aim to foster new thinking and explore big questions about where we are as a world and where we're going. Hello and welcome to the future of XYZ. Today we have such an incredible honor of speaking about the future of refugees. This Sunday is World Refugee Day, which starting in 2001, the UN designated to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the 1951 Convention on the Status of Refugees. It's an international day that we designate every year on June 20th to honor refugees around the globe. And today we have uh, Sloan Davidson and Fauste Ganjavi with us. Uh, I'll do intros, but ladies, both of you, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. It's, uh, it's an honor. Uh, Sloan Davidson is the founder and CEO of Hello Neighbor, which is a nonprofit she started in 2017 based in Pittsburgh that supports recently resettled immigrants and refugees in the Pittsburgh community. Um, she is also a presidential leadership scholar uh, and the gender equity commissioner for the city of Pittsburgh. Uh, Sloan, thanks for joining us. And uh, Fauste Ganjavi is uh, based in New Haven, Connecticut, where she uh, emigrated in 2011 with her mom from Afghanistan. She is the founder and CEO or founder and director of Elena's Light, which is named after her daughter. Um, and it is an organization dedicated, again, to helping support recently resettled peoples in New Haven and beyond. Uh, she is also a co-design consultant at Refugee Council America, USA, uh, and a 2021 Hello Neighbor Fellow. Um, so again, ladies, thanks for joining us on Future of XYZ. To talk about the future of refugees, I think we should just dive right in to talk about, I mean, I think the statistic is that there are over 80 million displaced persons in the world today, and it's only growing. This is a huge problem. Both of your organizations help at a community level to address this. What can you say about what you're seeing since you're, you founded your organizations and, and where do you think at a local and global level it's going? Uh, Farish, I'll, I'll ask you first. Um, again, thank you, Lisa, for having us today. Um, regarding uh, where are you gonna talk about Elena's light? Uh, first, a small, places that I found uh, feel comfortable uh, and try to make a small place for the newly arrival refugee who feels it's home and try to start uh, their life to make a brighter future for themselves and their families. Uh, globally, I will tell you later, because what I'm thinking, if we change one person's life, that can affect many, many others especially when I'm working at Elena's Light, we are working to empower women, refugee immigrant women. That's when the woman is in power, that's affect the whole family. And I believe uh, when everyone in the world try to do one part, that's gonna affect all in global. 
for the refugee crisis, that's something it's been in the world for a long time. And it's gonna stay, unfortunately, for a long time. My wish as a refugee myself is we have a world without any refugee immigrants. Mm -hmm. I wish a peaceful life everywhere, anywhere, especially in my country. Absolutely. Um, I, I think that's a, it's a big hopeful goal. It's a, it's a good dream. Sloan, the work that you're doing at Hello Neighbor in Pittsburgh, um, you're obviously seeing many people from many countries. I believe that you've served so far over 500 refugees and immigrants from more than 15 countries over the last four years. I mean, what are you seeing that, that you know, gives you a sense of where the future of refugees is? Well, I think you're right. Around the number of refugees is only set to increase, not decrease. 80 million people is a hard number our head around to bring that to something maybe people are familiar with. The amount of people displaced every single day could fill a professional baseball stadium. So any you know, most professional sports stadiums. So picture how many people that is about 50,000 a day are forcibly displaced. That means they leave their home, their, their, their special home, their place, and they might never return. They probably will never return. Now, the majority of those people stay internally displaced within their country. So about 75% of all people displaced don't actually leave the bounds of their own country. They're just internally displaced. That would be like someone, you know, forced to leave New Orleans during Katrina and goes to Houston, Texas. They're still within the United States. If they went to Canada or Mexico, then they could be considered a refugee. So the majority of people are actually still within their own country. One step beyond that, the next majority of people are in a neighboring country. So again, of the 25% left, about 23% stay in a neighboring country. Only about 1% of the world's refugees are resettled to a third, and sometimes it might even be a fourth, fifth, or sixth. So this is a really resilient group of people, far more so than I, I can ever imagine. Yeah. And Fereshte has lived that journey and that dream to resettle in a new place and be, you know, wherever that might be. And she's, you know, up in New Haven, just as a reminder for people that this is going on all over the world and there's war, conflict, climate change, violence of all kinds, um, political unrest. There's a lot of reasons why people have to forcibly leave their home and can't come back. Yeah. And so if you think about what's going on around the world, then we have to think about our own local communities. And once refugees are, are brought in, how do we create communities that are welcoming, inclusive, supportive in a way that helps refugees feel comfortable and confident in rebuilding their lives from scratch? Okay. And I think one of the biggest things that we see is so much rhetoric from politicians, from the media. Ultimately, we're talking about neighbor to neighbor. We're talking about within our community, within our city, what can we do, everyday citizens, that influence everything from our own neighbors to our politicians, to the media. We want to be welcoming. We want to be inclusive. And organizations like Elena's Light and like Hello Neighbor are set up to help both the refugees and immigrants feel more supported and to help neighbors understand how to get involved. 
I, I so appreciate some of those data points and contextualizing the magnitude of the problem. I mean, one of the things in some of the work that I did years ago for a, for a nonprofit was really focusing on getting kids back into education because it's over 40% of these 80 million plus displaced persons are children, school-aged children, you know, and we of course ask ourselves, well, what can your future be if you have no education? So I'm curious, and both of you deal with how do you integrate, how do you form policies, how do you create that neighborly integration and opportunity? But FASTA, especially Elena's Light, really focuses on delivering some three core, you know, benefits, if you will, to recently resettled families and individuals. What are the things that you think are most important for a recently resettled family or any immigrant family to have to, to start building that life, that opportunity, that promise? Yes, thank you. Um, at Eleanor's Light, we try to help a family um, after their two years, the first two years they arrive here. The first two years when they come, they have a resettlement agency helping them in the main point. But after that, when uh, one person in the family member found a job, they are less uh, receiving support from resettlement agency or any other organization who helped them before. The remaining family member who doesn't have a job, who doesn't uh, know that much English, uh, still stay at the same level at the day they came. That's why Eleanor's Light and other organizations similar try to have a, a second role and come out, try to support women and support the children. As you said, many of the family came with a lot of children and then many of them go start uh, United States education system. First of all, it's the language barrier, different culture and not knowing the system, these are the issue and barriers that children facing. As Eleanor's Light, we try to uh, create programs, connect the children with the, with, uh, with the school, like give them some simple education information regarding how they can start a university, four-year university versus going to community college. Or if they go to community college, how do you get the classes that you need to make you ready uh, to go for the next step. Uh, for the women that we are trying to help, it's because the community that I'm working with, it's a really different community than other refugees. I'm talking about Afghan refugee communities who are very more, um, uh, a little bit more tight uh, other than other community. We are trying to have one-on-one -on -one English classes for women um, before it used to be, I, we did orientation for the volunteer and take them to the family's house. Now, because of the COVID, everything is online, but it's still it's, we have the orientation, make the community ready. As, uh, as Solan said, we have like make neighbors ready for the new neighbors. Yeah. They can educate, cultural oriented, get all of the materials and then they start teaching one-on-one -on -one with the WhatsApp, Zoom, or other platform that we have. Um, Fantastic. So they're teaching English and as well as just general orientation skills for life in America. Um, we try to do just e uh, English, but focusing on the needs of the refugee families. 
For example, one, someone wants to do just driving to dri pass driver license in Connecticut to find a job. There is like some women we have to want to work with the, another um, organization named Century Kitchen to cook for the refugee and cook for the environment. The class is a specific regarding the, that yeah. specific job. Uh, but also, one, because I graduated from public health and I love um, informing and educating people regarding the health literacy classes, we have partnership with the Yale Newman Hospital and some other uh, community uh, professional and providers, doctors, to have classes online regarding the health, regarding educating for the COVID. It's all online. We'll have like, that's not individual. That's like five women and then the, some doctors will come online. They teach them all the health classes, prenatal health classes, self-care, parenting. These are the subject for the woman. It's so important to provide these skills. And, and I would imagine also in both of your organizations, the fact that people feel like they have a lifeline and a, a neighbor. I mean, we all need community, right? I mean, it's, it's part of human being. And I think one of the things that is stolen from people who are forcibly displaced from their homes is a sense of identity, but also, and, and security, of course, but also that sense of community. So both of your organizations very differently are, are rebuilding that sense of support, it sounds like, both in terms of providing financial support, literacy, English, education, healthcare, et cetera. Um, if we think about, you know, kind of the, again, going back to the topic of the future of refugees, these numbers only increasing, what do, you know, and Sloan, I'll throw this to you. I mean, what do you think some of the things that as average Americans, but also as, as, as governmental officials can do to, to help? I think first things we can do to help the most is remember that mostly families. It's a lot of women, it's a lot of children. And I think something else we can do to help is to remember that refugee is just one word of many things that people are. I, you know, I am a mother, I'm a founder, I'm a daughter, I'm a sister, I'm a friend, I'm a amateur baker. I, you know, we are all many things. And so I think refugee is a label that is not inclusive of an entire person's history and what they have lived and what they've brought here. So I think the first thing we can do is really like take that humanity, um, you know, who is a neighbor and what do they mean to me approach. Um, I, I think we can also remember that, you know, while many of the refugees are, you know, rebuilding their lives, they have faced unspeakable trauma and that carries with them, you know, and I think that's something we've all experienced in the past year, the pandemic, this social isolation is incredibly hard. Um, trauma lives with all of us and grief comes up in unexpected ways. We practice kindness across the board in an increased way in our society, but especially to some of our newer neighbors who are navigating so much language access, culture, plus a, a real loss, maybe of a family and of where they've come from. Beyond that, I think that I would really 
to what role we all play in our individual lives that can support our newest neighbors. I'll give some examples. Does anyone know a landlord, an employer, a healthcare provider, a school teacher, a um, you know interface? These are all people who have influence to say, how are we recruiting, retaining, creating opportunities who are English language learners. And I say English language learners because it's not English as a second language. It's frequently their third, fourth, fifth, sixth language. And so let's, you know, let's remember that they, they bring so much to the table. And so for a lot of places that say, oh, we have services, but we don't typically interact with refugee or immigrant neighbors. Why is that? The yeah. same conversations in diversity, equity, and inclusion for Black and Brown neighbors should also be to refugees and immigrants who are also Black and Brown that language and cultural barriers to inclusion. Absolutely, thank you for that. I, it's 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 such an it's so obvious when you sum it up that way. But of course, in your day to day, everyone gets wrapped up in it. And you talk about the trauma, the collective trauma and grief of this past year of COVID. I mean, I think about some of my own personal experiences this year, and and it's true. You carry them forward with you, and you. I have had so much more empathy even than before. For people who you know have had ongoing traumas, I mean, Faust, you're 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 not 11 years old, you know, and and you yet came to America in 2011, 10 years ago. You had a lifetime before that, you know, and what you've created is based on that. I I would like to talk to your history a little bit. I mean, you spent a lot of time in a refugee camp. I mean, the camps that we hear about in the West, if you're informed, are you know, in Lesbos, you know, Greece, which, you know, Moria, which is, you know, houses almost 80,000 people. You have, you know, in Northern Jordan, you have, you know, camps for Syrians like crazy over the border in Turkey, you do as well. And then of course there was a beautiful play put on in New York city, not so long ago called the jungle, uh, which was about the, the camp for about 10,000 migrants in Calais, France. Um, you know, you, you lived a lot of your life in a camp. Can you share with us some of the experience of that and how that's informed the work of Elena's Light as well? Um, in our transition from United Nations, when our case get accepted until we came here, um, we were in a camp for, uh, uh, for a period of time. In, uh, the camp was in one of the European countries. Uh, I apologize for the back noise, my kids are. It's good. <laughs> yeah, we were there uh, for a couple of, uh, period, in period of the time. And then uh, it was a different way because we, we were living, used to live in the homes and had not our own home, it was rental, but still I had my own secret school teaching people. Um, and when I came to the camp, the life is changed living with the 12 family all at one place and we weren't allowed to go outside the camp for one month and every morning we have to do the blood test to make sure we are healthy and then after a month like all of the hands everywhere were like you know needle every morning because we have to check after a month we were ready clean out to go out and we were able to go and see outside of the camp um 
it's really different. <laughs> what should I tell you? Like the foods are different, the behaviors are different, language are different. And the people as Stone and said, all of them had a lot of trauma, a lot of uh, mental health and issue. And like you left all of your family back home. You are in the camp, you have interview all the time. You don't know where you wanna go. There is not clear idea. You don't have any planning future. You're kind of living in the whole, not knowing what would be the next step. But still, what I saw on that uh, time in the refugee faces and families, because all of us were uh, women, there was and the children. Maybe that's why I try to help women and children more, because during that time I faced, I saw how strong and you know brilliant the women are but there is a lot of barrier. When you talk with each of them, each family, you know how hard life they passed to be here. And still with all of the issue in the camp, we all had hope. Yes, there is gonna be a different life after this stage. And I believe when we all came to the GFK, that was the day we all feel we born again. That was a new life. And a seal, because we don't, I born as a refugee immigrant to a second country. We don't have a date of birth. They just put a number and the year. Um, all of our date of birth is same. But the date of birth I pick for myself is the day I came to the United States. Because I know I can build my life and start make it and shape it the way I want. The first day when I was at the GFK, I told my mother, I will change the world myself because right now I'm in the country, I have opportunity to do. Even I wasn't able to talk or speak a word of English at that time. Just, hi, how are you? That's all I know. But, you know, I started working, going to the college, university, graduate, finding job, working hard and having support from the community. I love uh, Connecticut and New Haven uh, supportive community. Anytime I had question or need anything, they were a good community to help, to support us. I think this, this behavior kind of uh, spread, spreading on different places. I understand this when I joined Hello Neighbor Fellowship. I was thinking I'm alone fighting and telling others, yes, refugees, when they come after couple of years, they still need some support. I was thinking I'm alone to just scream this. But when I joined Hello Neighbor as a fellowship, I saw no, there is, that's, that's something many people like me fighting for the same goals. And um, I'm so happy and honored to be part of this great um, fellowship program. I wish I can continue more and learn more from the team. But overall, my experience living in the US was great and it's my honor to be here. And this is my life I choose and I try to help my refugee community uh, until I'm alive. I, 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 I wanna give Sloan a chance to respond to that because what she's created with Hello Neighbor obviously is having a tremendous impact and a networking effect. Um, I'm cognizant of time, and I just want to call out Sloan, give you a chance to respond both to Faust's and men's compliment, um, and, and, and 
Jessica, I'll say thank you for sharing your story. It's, it's, it's very powerful um, uh, in so many ways. And of course, it's one of 80 plus million. Um, and it has a very happy ending, which we all like, and, and an impact that is uh, not a given. So thank you for that. I want to call out, Sloan, you know, obviously the numbers that we're talking about. I mean, there's the UNHCR, uh, which is the UN's High Commissioner for Refugees, is obviously kind of the governing, in, you know, uh, I guess, you know, non-governmental body, uh, if you will, on refugee issues. But, I mean, Amnesty International, Save the Children, Médecins Sans Frontières, Mercy Corp, you know, um, UNICEF, I mean, you name it, there are so many giant NGOs who are operating in this space. I mean, Catholic Charities, I mean, you could go on and on, plus so many smaller organizations. As we think about the future of, you know, refugees, what is your, like, one big hope, you know, going forward for that these organizations and that your organizations together might be able to achieve? My one big hope is... I'll, well, I'll try and do one, is that um, any refugee or immigrant that is here in the United States wants some, uh, someone to help guide and support them, like a Hello Neighbor mentor or like any of community and uh, community-based grassroots organizations all around the country has the opportunity to do so. I think the biggest thing can have is, is neighbor to neighbor. And that is why, while you mentioned amazing, incredible, huge national, international organizations, the Hello Neighbor Network that I founded as one of the programs within Hello Neighbor is supporting grassroots leaders around the country. I they are the ones, we are the ones, Fresh Tay is the one that will make the biggest impact possible because she is in the homes, in the community, part of the community, and really can speak to the kind of community building that so needs to happen. And those conversations um, happening on a local level, I think are really powerful and, and need to happen. And I think that's what can create the biggest change. You know, the Hello Neighbor Network currently has 23 members from 17 states. That is grassroots organizations all around the United States of America that are community-based in the community. And within that, uh, my, or third biggest hope I might say, is that we center around the refugees and immigrants. They're not numbers, they're not clients to be counted. They are individual people with individual needs. And I think the nonprofit industrial complex pushes us to numbers and data. And yes, we need those things. We need the theories of change. We need to know how we're impacting and doing the work that we need to do. But we need to remember that it's about a person. And that's about a person who has lost everything from scratch. And however, people hearing this can take that into their own communities, like into your lives. That's what I would say. These are individual people. These are community-based organizations and we are here and we're not going anywhere. It doesn't matter who's an elected. It doesn't matter how many refugees are coming into the United States on an annual basis. The grassroots community organizations, we are not going anywhere. We're here. And it's important to understand that you might not know all of our names. We're doing the work without the glare and the flash and the to write the op-eds, you know, that, that land in the big papers. We're, we're doing the work every single day. And as much as anyone 
you know, can find that group where they are that they can involved. I think that that is what is going to change the world. I, I love the idea of neighbor to neighbor. And I will just say in, in closing again, a giant thank you to you both. Um, the mission or the objective of World Refugee Day on this Sunday, June 20th is an occasion, it's described as an occasion to build empathy and understanding of the plight of refugees and immigrants and to recognize their incredible resilience in rebuilding their lives. And I think that is exactly, uh, Fauste, what you have done and what you are helping others to do and Sloan obviously as well through the network even more. I love the amplification. I, I, I truly, truly appreciate you both joining us on Future of XYZ today. Thank you again so much for having us. It was really um, a pleasure. And for Shay, it was, it was an honor to be able to be here with you. Thank you. And anyone who is listening, if you don't already subscribe to Future of XYZ, please do so on YouTube or any of the streaming platforms for podcasts, Apple, Spotify, uh, et cetera, and follow Future of XYZ on Instagram to stay up to date. Make sure that you visit both Hello Neighbor and Elena's Light to learn more about how you can get involved in your community and reach out to these ladies if you have any questions. It's an important topic and do something this Sunday if you can to help one of your neighbors who's just arrived. Thanks and see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Future of XYZ. If you like what you've been hearing, please follow Lisa Grelnick on LinkedIn. Visit future-of.xyz or subscribe to the Future of XYZ podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.